You're listening to the Ignite Sessions podcast, hosted by Virginia Tech Chi Alpha. Our hope for this podcast is to encourage listeners to pursue God's kingdom and His righteousness. We hope you're blessed by today's episode. Three, two, one, sit down. I'm just kidding. Let's bring it back in. Good to see everybody tonight. Hey, tonight we have the honor, not really of hearing from a guest, because he is one of our staff members, and um, I'm super excited. We are obviously in the middle of our series on the fear of the Lord. If you're new here, we've been, this is week five on this series, and I had felt like we needed to have a series on the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom or the beginning of knowledge, and there's really no better person on our team to share a message about the fear of the Lord and the beginning of wisdom than our very own Johnny Redman. Johnny, okay, yeah, 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 wait, wait hold on, hold on, I'm not, I'm not done yet, I'm not done yet. Hold, hold it, hold it, hold it. Hey, I don't know if you're new to Chi Alpha, Johnny, um, again, one, at one time sat in the seat that you're sitting in. And um, God had grabbed a hold of his life, and he went ahead and he dove into the internship, which he now runs, right? He's now the internship director, and uh, praise God for that, because before that, it was me. And so, (laughs) we're super grateful to have Johnny. He actually makes things run so smooth. He's also one of those guys who has the patience of Christ, and there's just nobody like him. And so, could we give it up for our very own Johnny Redman? Come on. Wow. Well, I don't know if any of you are surprised to see me up here. I don't know who's more surprised, me or you. But I'm here. But I'm glad to be here. Like Anthony said, uh, I'm not too different from you guys. I really did sit in these seats. I think Victor is sitting in the spot that I sat in every week. So you're in my spot. (laughs) I'm I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Um, But yeah, as Anthony said, my name is Johnny Redman. I've been on staff since 2018 at Virginia Tech. So this is my fifth year on staff. Before that, I did an internship. I studied here at Virginia Tech, so I'm going on 10 years here in Blacksburg. (laughs) I studied industrial and systems engineering for those of you who are engineering students, or ISE. Come on. There we go. Um, And for those of you who are are new, um, so glad you're here. Um, You're really in a great place. There's nothing more important that you could be doing with your Monday night than spending it with the Lord. If you didn't know what the purpose of Chi Alpha is, it's for people to come to know and be transformed by the love of Jesus. And there's really, I think there's no better place to, to come to know Jesus' love than this place. I'm biased, but uh, it's, it is, this is such a, a special community. And for those of you who are familiar, great to see you guys. Um, really excited to be sharing the word with you all tonight. Uh, quick shout out, where's Amanda? Where's my wife? There she is. Yep. Need to embarrass her. She's great. We've, we've been married for two years and a week at this point. Two weeks. So, um, yeah. So, really excited to um, just 
continue marriage and that adventure with her. So if you've not met me, but you've met her, you've probably heard about me. But uh, yeah, so there's a, there's a quick background of me. So I'm not too different from you. I, I grew up as a student here. I, I did the student life. I had the deadlines. I had professors who I didn't understand. I, you know, all these different things that are part of the student experience, the sleepless nights. These are things that I went through too. And so when I speak to you, uh, and when I, when I also like just my life here at Virginia Tech, like it really is deeply personal. I'm not just here because uh, it's not just like, oh man, like the word called me and this is the only reason why I'm here, I'm just grudging through it. But I really do have a love for each student here, whether or not I know you or not. Um, and so I hope you hear that with, uh, with the message that I'm sharing tonight. And as Anthony mentioned, for the last month, we've been talking about the fear of the Lord. And I'm going to be talking about that. And before I get into um, the, the message, I have a quick story from undergrad, very timely. We talked a lot about mission stuff tonight. And so I have a story from a missions trip. Don't be like me. I did my first mission trip when I was a junior in college. I totally flaked on all the other ones and I had lame excuses for all of them. None of them were real. And uh, they were not good excuses. And, I, and my, I realized how much I was missing out when I went on my first mission trip to Mali in West Africa. And on this trip, we were uh, working with unreached people groups. And so similar to how our guests have like a, um, a business that they run to be able to actually be in the culture and minister to them, we couldn't get into the country just sharing the gospel. So we had to go there with a team that has a, a, a missions, uh, a business missions combination. And they worked to help the agriculture of the communities that they worked with. And uh, so we were on a construction site for building up this, uh, this storage facility for some of the, the things that were being used to grow plants in the area and help increase the, uh, the amount of crops they can produce throughout the year and things like that, so where they can store all their equipment and supplies, all right? And there's this building that we, we don't erect it in a week. That would be crazy. But we are working on the foundation of this thing, which is really nerve-wracking. Also, it was like 100 degrees outside. There were scorpions. I'm not even kidding. Like, there was, there was literally a cinder block we tipped over and it was like a scorpion inside of it. It, was, it wasn't fun. Uh, it was fun serving the Lord in that way, but it wasn't fun in terms of like the heat and everything. And it was really high pressure. The foundation had to be just right in order for it to have a building that at the end would stand the test of time. That if it was just off just the slightest bit, then one of two things could happen. Either it's going to cave in one, inward or outward. If it's slightly caved in, a little, just, just a little bit tilted in, the wall will cave into the center of the building just a little bit out, then it's going to fall to the outside of the building. And so we had to take so many measurements, make sure on basically every single level that it was right. And this was something that was so cool because I had learned all the time, like uh, as a Christian growing up, about like this idea of Jesus being our cornerstone and things like that. And like, you know, oh, wow, that's, su that's a super neat parallel right there. And uh, this is really relevant to our message tonight because life is kind of like that sometimes, where if your foundation is off, it could mean everything. That if, if you're building, if your life is a building and your foundation is just a little bit off, then it could mean the collapse of your building. And sure, I could have built something and maybe made it stand for a couple years. 
I think most of us do a pretty good job managing our lives. I don't think the Bible says that we have no ability whatsoever to be able to figure out how to live this life. But I do know that the Bible does say that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And when we understand that, we really begin to see that life doesn't make sense until we start fearing the Lord. Life really won't make sense. We'll begin to feel the subtle shiftings of our building's improper foundation begin to take its toll. The storms of life will come against us, like Jesus says in the scriptures. As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they're like. They're like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck the house, but it could not shake it because it was, all, because it was, built, it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. So what's your foundation today, friends? Where are you at? When the, life, when the storms of life come and hit you, are you feeling unsteady? Are you feeling like things aren't put together quite right? Are you feeling your building shaking a little bit? It could be a sign that your foundation's a little bit faulty. Don't gamble your life and just figure it out as you go. I could have, I could have done that on the mission field, but I had a master builder with me who was actually experienced and knew what he was doing, and I listened to him. And if we don't listen to experience inside of our lives and actual trusted voices, then the consequences could be astronomical. Mark 8, 34 through 38, whoever wants to be my disciple, Jesus says, must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? And so I hope that people aren't just queuing out when they're, when they're a Christian in the room. They're saying, well, I already know Jesus. I already got the right foundation. It's one thing to know Jesus and say, yeah, I've got the right foundation. It's another thing to put his words into practice daily. See, uh, we're going to talk about this when we get to the scripture of uh, Proverbs 1-7, but the beginning of wisdom is not like a starting line in life that you can just get past and graduate from. It's not like the beginning of a race. It's actually like a foundation of a building. Everything rests upon it. It's not something you can just get past. It's something we constantly build our lives upon. The weight of life rests upon it. It's not something we graduate from. And so are we actively trusting God in our lives? Um, just a quick recap of where we've been. So when you hear fear of the Lord, if you haven't been with us, this is not some irrational fear like we talked about. This is not a, a, a trepidation of, of God as if we're unsure what God's going to do, that he's almost like, you know, like a murderer, like we should be afraid of him or like someone who's intending to do us harm. No, this is actually a right understanding of God, a right understanding of God, a, an appreciation of the bigness and the majesty of God. And that leads us to trust him, to obey him, to submit to him, and to worship him. 
It's a right view of God that leads us to all these things. That's what the fear of the Lord is. It's an appreciation of the bigness of God. C.S. Lewis, a former atheist, says this about the fear of the Lord. If God, in God, you come against something which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself, unless you know God is that, and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you do not know God at all. As long as you're proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see something that's above you. And so we're in the book of Proverbs. It's probably one of the most densely compacted references of the fear of the Lord in the Bible. And uh, so this, this book, a large theme of it is the fear of the Lord. And uh, primarily, we've been in this first section of Proverbs. If you didn't know, it's divided into multiple sections by the people who said the sayings. And this first section, which is the first nine chapters, is uh, a section where a father is speaking. To, it's as if the father is speaking to a son. So it's addressed from a father speaking to his child. And so it can sound very personal when it's talking to us, when we read it, when we're, talk, when we're listening to it. It's like a conversation. Uh, imagine almost a conversation between us and the Lord. And imagine this. Uh, well, I guess I'll say this. Uh, first nine chapters, uh, really cool how it's bookended. First chapter, ninth chapter, with the same, basically the same verse, just said different ways. Proverbs 1.7, if we can pull that up. Uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom or knowledge. And uh, but fools, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And then Proverbs 9.10, the other end of the, the section. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So, uh, yeah, so, so get this. In a book about life, like how to do life, a father says the first thing you need to understand about life, the first thing you need to understand about wisdom, the beginning of it, is fearing the Lord, which once again is when we understand who God really is, have a right view of who he is, we will fear him. When we actually see him for who he is, we will actually have a right view and it will inform our actions when we actually have an encounter with who he is. That's the first thing about life that you need to understand. Without it, nothing will make sense if that's the case. If that's true, then nothing in life could make sense because it's the foundation of understanding everything. And don't get me wrong, like there are plenty of things that people can understand about life who, who don't fear the Lord. It's just you're never gonna really know the deep things about life when you begin asking why, when the storms of life hit you, you're not actually going to have a building that's going to, to sustain the storms of life, the real questions of life, and it's going to feel uncomfortable, and it's not going to actually stand the test of time, Scripture tells us, that it's going to collapse. And so this is a father's warning, and this is God's warning to all of us. Will we walk in the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom? Or will we despise it? Because we see the antithesis of it, Proverbs 1-7, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. I'm going to say this more than once tonight, but life will never make sense if you don't make change. Life will never make sense if you don't make change. And yes, that is a pun. Um, it will never make sense if you don't make change in the sense that you, if, you don't, if you don't learn from your mistakes, then you're not going to advance in life. If you keep saying, I'm just going to figure out, or it's, it's always their fault, it's not my fault, 
I can figure this out. I'm just going to try the exact same thing, which is the definition of insanity when you try the same thing and just keep doing it over and over again, expecting a different result. You're not going to get any further. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And for those of us who are Christian, this isn't revolutionary. And sorry, I, I'm going to get to praying and I'm going to get to the passage, but this is, I want to get us back to speed where we're at, if y'all are with me. So Hebrews 4, 7 through 8, as Christians, we know that this constant lifestyle of change and, and learning from God and growing in God is a norm. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. This is talking about God's instruction inside of our lives, God's, God calling us to repentance, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Don't harden your heart to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Or even the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our sins. This is a constant awareness of growing in godliness. This is a constant awareness that we, we will fall short and that we need to ask God for help and that we need to uh, learn and grow from him. This isn't new for us, but do we do it? I will also clarify, there's going to be a lot of words in Proverbs that talk about fools and wicked people and wise people and um, uh, righteous people. Like in biblical terms, it didn't mean you're stupid. If you're a fool, in some sense it does. It means you're stupid with regard to God, but not necessarily other things. Uh, so like, <laughs> I mean, there's a reason why it says that, but, but it, doesn't, it doesn't mean you're not a smart person. So like if the Bible says fool and that's like, it's describing you're making bad choices. It's describing you're making ungodly choices with your life. And especially it's saying you're missing the mark when it comes to who God is. So don't take it personally if something says, something says something that aligns with you and it's like, this is a fool or a wicked person. That's primarily talking about your relationship with God. So if you don't have a relationship with God, the, 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 the Bible is going to be pretty hard on you. Uh, so, uh, yeah, because uh, that's the big question at the end of the day. And so I'm, I'm just going to be saying what it's saying. Um, but so, yeah, you could be a complete simpleton and be wise in God's eyes. Uh, and praise God for that. Uh, <laughs> But you, and you could be the smartest, and you could be the smartest person in the world, and and be a fool in God's eyes. And so, as we go through this, this passage, which is going to be in Proverbs three, so we made it. Uh, ask yourself honestly, who am I? Where am I building my life upon? Does my life make sense? Am I trusting God? Do I actually fear the Lord? Um, so I'm just going to pray. You can turn to Proverbs 3, or you can wait till I finish praying. Father, we thank you, God, for this time to just discuss your word tonight. God, we pray that you'd speak to us through it. God, we pray that you'd help us to make sense of the world that we live in, God, that you've created for us to enjoy. God, we pray that you would help us to um, grab a hold of just the vision of what you desire for this relationship that you have with us, God, um, or that we, that we can have with you. God, we pray, Lord, that you'd help us to grow. God, you'd help us to be teachable, Lord, that you'd humble us through your spirit and that you'd show us just wisdom from your word, God, which comes from no, rightly knowing you and fearing you. Um, so we pray, Lord, that you would just uh, visit us tonight, speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we're gonna be looking at Proverbs 3, 1 through 12 tonight. Hopefully you're all there. If not, I think it'll be on the screen at some point. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart. For they'll prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. 
then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and humankind. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son he delights in. So there's a lot we can talk about in this passage. If you grew up in Christian community, you probably immediately honed in on verses five and six, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. It's a common memory verse for kids. Uh, I want to focus on that one first, regardless of whether you've, you've heard it or not before. Different versions, you might see it rendered differently. It's talking about the same idea. Um, in all your ways, acknowledge him. In all your ways, know him. In all your ways, submit to him, like I just read. It's rendering the Hebrew differently. It's just making the same point that we need to trust God. We need to always take God into account in everything we do. In all your ways, acknowledge him. In all your ways, submit to him. The point is not just like thinking about God, like Jesus was saying in the beginning. Don't just think about my words and be like, yeah, it's a good idea, but yeah, I'll leave that for another time. This isn't Burger King where you get it your way. It's, this is God is king and you do it his way. Like, like this, this is it. <laughs> This is, this is our Christian life. Um, and so, like, we, we submit to him. We, we listen to what he says, and we take his good advice. And I'm going to get here. Like, it's not just because God's a control freak. It, look at all the promises that God offers to those who, who, who fear him and who listen to him. Uh, we'll get there, and I'll explain the passage because some of you might have some questions about it. We'll get there. But um, the point is that we invite God to every area of our life. And we, we listen for his voice. And we actually want to hear what he has to say. And we recognize that we are so limited in our understanding of the world. Even the best people that we could talk to can't compare to the advice and the direction that God gives us in life. David Guzik describes it this way, these, these verses. Trusting God with all your heart means to honor and acknowledge him in all that we do. It's the choice to invite God into our everyday life and conduct. It is to practice the presence of God in a regular and sometimes mundane things that happen every day. And so one of the most remarkable benefits we have as, as believers is we have the direction of the Holy Spirit. Praise God for the Holy Spirit, that he, that he sends us his spirit to lead us and guide us according to truth. Or like this passage says, when we trust in him with all of our heart, he will make our paths straight that we don't have to just figure it out as we go. We don't just have to learn from, learn from our mistakes. Of course, we, we can do that. But if we know Jesus today, we really can have the direction of God. And there's a great confidence we can have from God from that. We don't have to be anxious about our decisions in life. We don't have to constantly wonder, am I, am I making the right choice? I mean, yes, there's a faith aspect to it, but there's, there's, there's a confidence we can have when we recognize that our Father's guiding us. There's an active guiding of God. He will make your path straight. All we gotta do is trust him. He's the one who makes the path straight. He's the one who guides us. Just put your trust in him. And so for many of us, we wrestle with like, you know, like what's the standard we look to? Is it 
all the people around us? Is it our wisest professors? Is it our social media? Is it our, our friends? Is it our, our, our parents? Is it our boyfriend, our girlfriend? Is it like, you know, you name it. We can, we can take advice from other people, don't get me wrong. But there's nowhere else, anywhere in the Bible, that comes close to describing the kind of trust that we are told to put in God here. In all your ways, acknowledge him. We not on your own understanding. Don't trust God more than you trust yourself. There's no one else in Scripture who is given that kind of license to speak into your life. There's no one else in Scripture who is told that they can, you can depend on them in that kind of way. No one. And you shouldn't depend on anyone else that way. If you are, run away from that idea immediately. They're, you're going to be let down. Politicians will let you down. Your professors will let you down. Worldly ideologies will let you down. Your best ideas will sometimes let you down. But God won't. And so when we don't have a standard, we're left aimlessly wandering. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. When we, when we look to him, he becomes our standard. Anyone seen the, so I haven't seen this, but I've heard the thing, uh, the new uh, Netflix series on Jeffrey Dahmer. Anyone seen that thing? Okay. Uh, it seems like it's popular right now. Uh, yeah, it's a little bit past some of our time when this guy was even out. So like he was a serial killer for, like I'm going to like, greatly abbreviate his crimes because it's awful. Uh, yeah, so he's a serial killer. We're doing a Netflix series on him now. Sure, why not? And, um, uh, and like, he, so he allegedly came to know Jesus before the end of his life. Um, and that's not necessarily a question I'm going to be getting into whether or not that was legitimate. But he's doing an interview with Dateline NBC in 1994. And uh, he says this to the guy. So this is post-conversion. And it's him sharing his perspective, what he actually thought. So if a person doesn't think there's a God to be accountable to, then, then what's the point of trying to modify your behavior to keep it within acceptable ranges? That's how I thought anyway. I always believed the theory of evolution is truth, that we all just came from the slime, you know. And when we, when we died, you know, that was it. There was nothing. And that's what led this guy to kind of feel okay about doing the things he's doing. Now, if you don't believe in God, I'm not saying you believe this. Please don't hear that. I'm just saying what he said, and he didn't believe in God, and he's saying that. So I'm not really on atheists. I'm not really on evolution. I'm just saying Jeffrey Dahmer's got a point. I've been involved in atheist communities at Virginia Tech. I've known plenty of atheist people. Some of them are some of the nicest people you ever meet, some of the most ethical people you ever meet. But here's the thing. Like, when you actually remove God from the picture, whether we literally remove God from the picture, like I don't believe in God, or we live as if God is not in the picture, we are aimlessly, we have no anchor in life. We are out in the middle of the sea drifting wherever life will take us. And that's a problem. Because as Jeffrey Dahmer pointed out, who was literally psycho, um, but like he's spot on with this, you will drift wherever the world takes you. And I'm not saying that as an attack on your character. I'm saying that because I understand myself and I'm under, I understand what the Bible says about who we are apart from God. And so this is a serious thing when God is not the standard, when he's not the measure by which we can 
come to, when, we, when, we, when we come to the questions of life. And so if you don't know Jesus today, maybe you've experienced this in some way. Proverbs 4, 18 and 19 say, The path of the righteous is like the morning sun, shining ever brighter till the full light of day. But the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They don't know what causes them to stumble. This is what I'm saying. Life doesn't make sense without God. And if you're wondering, if you're like clueless about life, you're like, man, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I don't know why I continually have anxiety. I don't know why I have depression. I don't know why I feel purposelessness in life. Why am I not happy? Why are my best efforts in life, the best advice I can get, not adding up? Maybe it's because the first thing that we need to understand about life, the beginning of wisdom, really is fearing the Lord, having a right view of Him. So there's also an implication for those of us who, don't, who do know Jesus. Why am I not growing in my Christian walk? May I suggest it's because God has somehow been swapped out for a different standard in your life? It's not the only reason, but it could be. What do I mean by that? Well, you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty good. Like, I, you know, I read my Bible, like, as much as my life group leader. I'm pretty good. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm doing the best in my journey group. You know, I'm... I'm I'm doing really well in my, my walk with Jesus because, like, I'm better than I was. And all these are good. Don't, don't not compare yourself to people around you in, like, a, in a healthy sense. But that's a really unhealthy way of comparing yourself because God is our standard. And so we'll, our life with God will begin to get stale when we look at other people and say, oh, well, yeah, I'm doing pretty well compared to... When we measure each other by each other, we're, we're completely misinformed. Because the standard's Christ. The standard's always been Christ. He's the one we follow. Yes, we, we follow other people. But actually, like, because some of you might be thinking, but what about the scriptures that say, follow me as I follow, as I follow Christ? That's exactly the point. If there's no one following Christ, who are we following then? If the whole church did that, what would happen? Where would the oaks of righteousness in this generation be? They'd be stumps of righteousness because their growth would be cut off prematurely. And so like... Where, where would we be? We need, we need a vision of the Lord, a right view of him. Isaiah 6 talks about this. We've, we've had this passage before in here. Um, you know, Isaiah, arguably one of the most righteous guys in his day. He's a prophet to his people, completely upright in what he does before, fears the Lord. And he has a, he has a heavenly vision of God. And he, ha- he sees the angels and the elders around the throne of God. And, and they are saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And he says, woe is me when he sees God. When's the last time, if we're, if we're not growing in our relationship with God, here's a question for you. When's the last time you've seen God and said something like that? Maybe not word for word, but when's the last time you've gotten a picture of the holiness of God, the bigness of God, the greatness of God? And maybe it's because God has become too small in our eyes or because we're not even looking at him at all. Something else that sticks out in this passage is something I made mention to earlier. Like God's not a control freak. God really is a good father and he's generous and he wants to bless us. And so we see all these different promises that God offers to those who, um, uh, who fear him and who walk in wisdom. And obviously these things aren't literal because you know if, if you don't have any vats, uh, then, you know, you're out of luck, sorry, because this doesn't apply to you at this point if you don't get the, 
you must not have read the passage then, sorry. Are you not, are you not getting this? Hold up, I'll, I'll go back. I didn't read it well enough, guys. Um, uh, where is it? Oh, here we go. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops, and your barns will be filled, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Obviously, this isn't literal, because if you don't have barns and vats, then this doesn't apply to you. So, like, um, there's some level at which we have to take liberty with what's happening here. And like Proverbs generally is, these are like general ways the world works. They're not necessarily guarantees. And the whole point isn't necessarily for the things themselves. Like this isn't the prosperity gospel here. It literally uses the P word in there. It uses prosperity. So like that's a a Bible word. But um, it's not what the passage is really talking about. The whole point is trust in the Lord with all your heart. And we not like, and then like as you, as you walk in His ways, you'll see these things come to pass. God isn't fooled by us, like walking in, like you know, just for 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 His gifts. Like God is actually greatly grieved by that. Like God knows our hearts. That's a, another part of like fearing the Lord is if we actually believe God is great and He sees everything, He knows everything, then we should live according to that. He would we'd obviously He'd obviously know that um, that we're following Him for the wrong motive. Um, that would be immediately evident to God. So that's not what the passage is talking about. The text is simply making the point that God's ways are ways of life and that God ritually rewards those who seek his face. That's scripture in Hebrews. Uh, James 1.17, um, every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of heavenly lights who doesn't change. These are all biblical ideas, but we're missing the point if we're just pursuing God for these things. If, we're, if we, we've completely missed it because we don't actually have a right view of God. God's so much greater than all these other things as, we, as we've been talking about. These are all just mere reflections just pointing to him. And so if we ever need uh, a motivation to pursue after the Lord, it's, it's him. It's him. Get, get a right view of him. Put yourself in a place of encountering him. Seek after him. He will show himself to you. He's worth being sought after. He richly rewards those who seek his face. And the greatest reward that he offers to those who seek him is himself. There's one last thing I, I want to talk about, and that's how God helps us in all this. This isn't, this isn't just learn these things and do them out of your own effort and try your hardest and just, you know, because we can really read it that way. And we can really begin to think, well, you know, if I'm just not seeing God, I just got to like try harder. Like if I'm just, if I just keep on sinning, if I'm just growing in my, not growing in my relationship with God, like I just got to buckle down and just make it happen. And there's some parts of that that are actually sort of right, but there's a lot of parts that are really wrong. And I think immediately of Titus 2, um, 11 through 14, where it says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. This is one of my favorite passages about the grace of God. This might completely change how you even look at God's grace if you've never realized this before. Um, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what's good. They see the grace of God is not just something that covers over our sin when we sin. It's not something that just, that just like says it's okay. 
to everything that happens in life. It is, but it's, some, it's an empowering presence of God inside of our lives. The grace of God is what, what does Titus 2 say? It empowers us to say no to ungodly lives, uh, to, to ungodliness, and to live godly and upright lives in this present age. Grace is not just the, the God's love covering over our sins on the cross. It is also the empowerment to live a new life, like it says in the end, that he purchased for himself a people to purify them for himself. He's the one purifying us. This is so crucial when we understand the, the greatness of God. When, we look, when we're looking into the greatness of God, if you begin to get a glimpse of God and you look at yourself and you only look at yourself at that point, you'll be crushed because you'll never measure up. You're never going to measure up to the Lord by yourself. You're never going to be able to make it to him. You're never going to be able to live according to every single thing he asks you to do. It's never going to happen. And that's what the grace of God does inside of our lives, though. It's him working in us. And so I, I remember being in your seat, and uh, my biggest struggle in college was with pornography. And uh, this was back in the day when journey groups were being pioneered. They're very they're different names uh, at that point. And I remember going through not one journey group, but three journey groups uh, during my time in college. And uh, I still was, I, I still, during most of my college, was struggling with pornography. And I remember feeling like such a disappointment to, to myself, to the people around me. I keep coming to group. Yeah, guys, I messed up again. Uh, my mentors, yeah, I messed up again. To God, hey, God, I messed up again. And just feeling so weighed down by the weight of my failure in this area. And maybe you don't struggle in that area, but there is something that's similar for you, for you here tonight. And I can't say that it went away immediately, that it took all of college, really, pursuing after the Lord, growing in my relationship with God, seeking after Him, intentionally pursuing healing in this area. And that was a lot of hard work. But it was God's grace at the same time. See, some of us think that God's grace always comes one way, that it's just going to be you know, effortless every time, and that it's going to just be a straight shot, not necessarily. We can't choose how God's grace comes to us, but you can recognize it when you see it. And the point is, like, if, if, you're, if you're hearing some of the things tonight, like, man, I really need to grow in my relationship with God. Man, I've really got, I'm really struggling with something inside my life. I need to lay it down before the Lord. Man, I really have a small view of God. You don't have to do it all on your own. It comes back to that key verse of what we talked about tonight. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean on your own understanding and he will make your path straight. You don't have to understand how you're going to get there. You don't have to trust in your own effort in and of yourself. But I, trust me, like when you, when you put your whole self into the Lord, you'll be able to run further and faster than you ever thought you could. And there was a day when I looked back and there, that was never a thing in my life. That, that, sorry, that, that wasn't a thing anymore in my life. That God completely healed me in the area of pornography. And I need to, to issue this last, this last warning to people inside this place. Some of you have a wrong view of God's grace. And you might think, well, like, yeah, I struggle with some sins in my life, but, you know, it's all good because Jesus loves me and, like, this is going to be, like, totally fine. Like, God, God's got me. Like, you know, I just ask for forgiveness all the time and, like, it'll be all cool. And uh, 
there's a heart behind that that's wrong. Everything I just said was sure that's right. But if we think that we're not going to begin to be affected by our sin or that God isn't going to do something about it, then we are sorely mistaken. The end of this passage, Proverbs 3, 11 through 12, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, a son, he delights in. Um, I remember uh, um, someone that I was in a leadership role over really, uh, uh, how do I put it? This, this, this person was, uh, was lying to me for uh, about a year, and I began to kind of feel like this was happening. And uh, I look back at this person now, I will say this, and I'm so proud of the way they conducted themselves in terms of submitting to the Lord's discipline. But this person had lied to me for a year, and uh, uh, I was in a leadership role over them, and they basically would pretend to uh, not be able to be there for certain things that they were asked to do in the leadership role they agreed to, do, to be in. And uh, every time was, uh, was an excuse that seemed valid, but over time it was like, okay, I don't know. And uh, I remember just wrestling inside myself, wondering, what do I do with this person? And God just continued to ask me to pray for this person. And eventually this person came to me and under the weight of God's conviction, just really felt like they needed to confess that. And there were times I would even kind of like bring up things in our, in our one-on-ones, like, hey, how's this going? You sure everything's okay? And I wonder if this person didn't think for a moment, just begin to think I was being a little bit annoying or a little bit pushy, or uh, you know, I was maybe pushing a little bit too much on the thing that was sensitive in their life. And God can put people inside of our lives who are his form of discipline for us. It's not just some ethereal like hand of God that is coming down and guiding our lives. That, you know, sometimes God uses people, and actually a lot of time God uses, God uses people. And we can really despise the Lord's discipline when it comes to someone else. And we can begin to think, gosh, they're so annoying. Gosh, they always call me on my junk. Gosh, they always like, you know, are just so graceless towards me. I'm like, well, this is actually a wrong view of God's grace. Uh, like, or discipline is not contrary to God's grace. Discipline is God's grace plus consequences. That's all that is. That's all that is. And like the Bible says that we'll sow, God will not be mocked, that a person will sow what they reap. And so God is a good father and he doesn't want you to hurt yourself. And so for those of us who think that we're just going to slip underneath God and, you know, like, oh, I'm good. Like, he's not, he's not going to do anything. Oh, oh I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. Like, God, God will do something because he loves you too much to leave you where you're at. And, but this, to finish the story, this guy came to me and confessed these things. And uh, I could have gotten uh, really mad, and I could have, like, you know, like, used my authority in a way that would have crushed this person. But instead, I had to take one, I had to take a note from God. And God doesn't crush us when he disciplines us. God lets us feel the weight of our, our sin. God definitely does discipline us, and it does hurt in the moment, 
No discipline in the moment is comfortable, Hebrews 12. But we, we learn to respect our, our fathers through it. Um, and we learn to respect God through it. And we learn to realize that he actually does mean good for us. And I, I look at this person, I'm so proud of the way they, they confess that instead of just being, you know, like, I'm good, like, I'm just going to let this slide under the carpet. He'll never know. Only it'll be between me and God. But they, he, he submitted, like it says, uh, don't despise the Lord dis, dis, discipline and don't resent his rebuke. Uh, like, there's an act of submission we have to be involved in with God's discipline. And it really is because he loves us. And so I'm going to start wrapping this up. I opened up this message today, so I'm going to get really serious. Uh, I opened up this message today uh, with a definition of the fear of the Lord that is slightly contextualized because it's for believers. Uh, what I mean by that is that definition that I gave is for those of us who have peace with God through Jesus. There actually is another definition of the fear of God that would be equally valid, and it depends on the person you're talking about, and that would be for those who don't know God. Um, for those of us who don't know God in Christ, this is actually a very serious message that we have great reason to fear the Lord. And it's because God is a righteous judge of the world. And God is holy. And God will not leave the sins of the wicked unpunished. The Bible says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And so, friend, when you face God apart from Jesus, there isn't hope of salvation. There's no hope of salvation in that moment if you don't have Jesus' blood covering you. And it's because God is holy, and God will repay wrongdoing with punishment. And that punishment, the Bible says, is death. The wages of sin is death. And God offers a way out of that. God offers a way out of that through the cross. This is why Jesus came. God sent his only son into the world so that through his perfect life, through his sacrifice, through him dying on the cross, through him raising again three days later, that we could have life in him and that we could really know him. We could really have peace with him and that God would not have to crush us for our sins, but that God could actually treat us like a father treats a son or treats a daughter, that he could grow us through, the, that he could grow us through discipline, that he could correct us. But otherwise, God, you will know God as judge. Friend, don't, don't gamble your life like I was saying in the beginning of this thing. Don't build your life on a faulty foundation. If you already feel the tremblings of life, if you already feel the storms of life coming against you, and life isn't making sense, and your building isn't staying erect, then you need to get underneath the covering of Jesus. You need to trust Jesus. Put your faith in him today, and he'll, he won't disappoint you. And so, um, if there's anyone here who wants to, to give their life to Jesus, who says, I'm, I'm that person. I, I need to trust God for my sins. I know I'm not right with God. Hey, Johnny, I'm, I'm really lost in life, and like, I know life isn't making sense. I'm perpetually unhappy. Like, life just doesn't make sense. Like Jesus, all these things are offered in Jesus. If that's you, I just invite you to be bold and, and raise your hand today. Is there anyone here who wants to give their life to the Lord? Amen. <laughs> Praise God.
Anyone else? Praise God. Okay. Um, if we could all stand and, and pray together. And Father, we just thank you, God. So let's repeat after me. Father, we thank you for the provision that you offer us through the cross. Thank you for loving me so much that you sent your only son, Jesus Christ, to be my sacrifice so that I could have peace with you. And not just that, but live in relationship with you in life right now. I pray that you'd uh, fill me with your Holy Spirit and lead and guide my life. Fill me with your love that I might serve you all the days of my life. Amen. Can we, can we give a round of applause for our, our new sister? Amen. And so for those of us uh, who that did not relate to, there's, there's other ways we can respond. Are you living life purposelessly? purposelessly? Are you unhappy? Are you not growing in your relationship with God? Some of these questions we talked about tonight. Do you keep falling to a particular sin? Do you need a revelation of who God is? Is life in different ways just not adding up, not making sense to you? Maybe I need courage to embrace the discipline of the Lord, to, to confess something, to accept uh, an authority inside my life who uh, I've up to this point not not been able to submit to. What are, what are these things that God is putting on our hearts this morning, this afternoon, this evening? Wow, three strikes. Okay. Um, yeah. Is there anything that, that the Lord is putting on your heart to, to repent of? Uh, we invite the, the uh, we open up the altars down here and we say, you can come and respond to the Lord that he's here that if you want to have an encounter with him tonight, the Lord is here. He says that if you seek him, you'll find him. Um, and so I'm just going to pray real quick, and then uh, the altars will be open. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that you just continue to speak to us tonight. God, we pray that uh, you just guide this response time, Lord, that each of us would hear from you of how we should respond and that, that you would just be high and lifted up inside of our lives, Lord, that we would have a higher view of you, God, a, a, a right view of you, Lord, and Lord, that that would change our lives, Lord, as we just see you for who you are. Amen. Altars are open. Thank you for tuning in to the Ignite Sessions podcast. To learn more about Virginia Tech Chi Alpha, please follow us on Instagram and Facebook. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share it using the hashtag TheIgniteSessions. We'll see you next time.